0: Welcome to the Rock Church and World Outreach Center. We pray that this message will strengthen and encourage you. Now, here's a message from Pastor Dan Roth. Amen, amen. Well, today get your Bibles and go with me to Acts the 6th. And seventh chapter, we're going to be in both Acts chapter six and Acts chapter number seven. We've been in a series called "The Story of Us." A couple weeks ago, Pastor Powell did such a great job talking about the beginning of Acts chapter six, didn't he? He's just a phenomenal teacher of the Word of God. We are so blessed to have him here at the Rock Church and World Outreach Center, leading our Spanish-speaking ministries, and just being a great man of God and a great pastor. And he brought such wisdom about the the servers and just the the attitude that we should have as well. I just thought it was outstanding. If it didn't get a hold. That message is online. And as well, last weekend, Harry and Cheryl Salem just knocked it out of the park. I just love the word of God from Harry and Cheryl. It was so fun. We were in the car driving as we were listening to it, and, uh, our, you know, the music is a little bit different decade than what our children are involved in, you know what I mean? And so they started to sing, and my son goes, what is this, you know? And I said, Bubba, just listen to it right now, man. Just, just, it, it, it may be different, but just listen to the words and listen to the heart behind it. And when they told the story of what that song was about, oh, my gosh, we all were like, oh, wow, we love that song. That is amazing. And then to think about Harry walking outside, just roaring, right, that was enough to bless me. I was just laughing loving the idea of Harry walking around roaring, but you know what? We need to call those things out. We need to speak restoration and healing in our land and believe God for great things. So once again, very important message, and I believe that it's good for all of us. Today, talking about the story of us, uh, the specific title of today's message is The Marks of Christian Martyrs. Marks of Christian Martyrs. When I said the word martyrs, it got really quiet. In fact, you could have heard a pin drop outside when I dropped that word on you all, because I don't believe that anybody really likes the idea of a martyr. Martyr is somebody who gives their life for a cause, and specifically we're talking about Christian martyrs because all of us are called to lay down our lives for the gospel of Jesus Christ. In fact, you can't even enter the kingdom without laying down your life. Is that right? We preach a gospel here that is all of your heart and all of your life, that you are laying down your life, you are dying to self, and therefore you are dead to your past man, and now you are alive to Jesus Christ. But that word martyr is only translated in the New Testament three times as this word that we see, martyr. And it refers to the young man that we're going to be taking a look at in the story of us, the story of Acts, in chapter number 6 and chapter number 7. But 29 other times in the New Testament, this word is also translated, a different word, and that word is witness. How many of you know that all of us are called to be a witness of Jesus Christ? Listen, if Jesus has saved you, if Jesus has taken you up out of the pit that you were in of sin and death, if he has cleaned you up and set your feet upon the rock, if Jesus has changed your life, if Jesus has healed you, if Jesus has saved you, if Jesus has changed you, if you've been up in the middle of the night and Jesus has given you peace that passes all understanding or he gave you sweet sleep, if Jesus has done anything in your life that you have seen, then you are a witness of Jesus Christ. So when I talk about the marks of Christian martyrs, really I'm talking about you and I'm talking about me. There are some things that we need to see in our lives that should be evident because we are called to be a witness of Jesus Christ. Acts chapter number six, verse number eight, we see this young man named Stephen. Look what it says in Acts chapter six, verse number eight. I'm reading from the New King James Version. It says, "In Stephen, full of faith and Power. Everybody say faith and power. Say it again. Say faith and power online. Why don't you type that in the comments if you see the comments section right now. Faith and power. Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and signs among the people. Now, if you remember last time we were together talking about this young man, Stephen, Stephen was a table waiter. Is that right? There was a distribution that was going out to the widows, and the Greeks said, hey, 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 wait a second, wait a second. We're being overlooked in the distribution. This isn't fair. And the apostles said, why should we be serving tables? Right? We need to be giving ourselves to prayer and to the Word of God. It wasn't beneath them to do this, but there was something that they needed to keep the main thing the main thing. And so they decided that they were going to set able men full of wisdom and full of the Holy Spirit over this matter of distributing to the needs of the widows. And in doing so, they chose this young man, Stephen. Now, Stephen was a table waiter. Think about it in these terms. Stephen was the guy that when you're sitting at your table and you start slurping your drink and you hear the bottom of the cup start going... He was the one that you shook your glass at to make sure to rattle the ice to let him know, hey, I need a refill over here, bro. That was Stephen. Stephen was the guy that you would call over, hey, can I get some, a, a side of ranch for this? You know, that, that, that was the guy that we're talking about right now. Stephen was a table waiter. He was a server. But the server started serving up miracles, signs, wonders are taking place. This man is full of faith and of power. The humblest of positions became the highest of potential. Why? Because this man knew that the way up was down. He simply served the Lord, and the Lord said, that's a humble heart. That's a heart that I'm going to bless. And the Bible says, humble yourself in the sight of God, and he will lift you up. See, Stephen wasn't knocking on Peter's door saying, hey, can you polish a pulpit for me? Can you, can you set me up? Because I just need to preach. I just need to get up. No, he simply went and did his job. He was serving tables. And while he was serving tables, I would imagine that Stephen was coming up to one of the Greek widows, and he was putting some bread and, and, and some butter on the table. And while he's doing that, one of the widows is just rubbing her neck going, oh, my goodness, I'm so sore. I must have slept on this wrong. It's just been aching. It's been sore for weeks now. And he says, can I pray for you? I said, well, sure, it can't hurt, Right. And so he lays his hand on her neck and he says, in the name of Jesus, be healed. And she starts to scream, oh my goodness, The pain is gone. Wow, that's amazing. And someone on the other side of the table says, well, wait a second, if you're going to pray for her, man, my foot, I can't even walk on this foot. I've been using a crutch. I've been using a cane all this time. Can you come and pray for my foot? He says, absolutely. In the name of Jesus' foot, we pray strength. We pray healing. We pray pain be gone in Jesus' name. And that widow jumps up and starts leaping and starts running, starts jumping and dancing. And all of a sudden, the people are amazed. Why? Because the table waiter is now preaching the gospel, and miracles and signs and wonders are taking place. Stephen continues his life, and he's going around, and Stephen was a young man, but he was also a learned man full of the power and the wisdom of God. And the Bible says that he would go and he would debate in the synagogues, proving that Jesus is the Christ from the Scriptures. As he did that, there was a group that came from another area, and they came in, and the Bible, take a look at it with me, in Acts chapter 6, and this time verse number 10, it says, and they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. In other words, they were trying to disprove that Jesus was the Christ. They were trying to put Stephen down, and they were trying to school him on the Old Testament. And yet Stephen comes up, and they cannot resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. You know, Jesus said, I will give you a tongue and wisdom that no man can stand against. God told Joshua, no man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. See, when you are humbly submitted to God, you don't have to worry about what's out there. You just simply have to follow the will and the word of the Lord, and God will back you up. And so Stephen was schooling these guys on the Old Testament, schooling them on Moses, schooling them on the prophets, and he was proving from the scriptures that Jesus is the Christ. Now the story goes on that the people who were losing the debates with Stephen decided to lie about him and falsely accuse him. They actually went out and they got false witnesses to speak evil against him in front of the religious leaders of that day. And they said that he was talking about the temple, he was talking against the holy place of God, which was an offense that was punishable. And so Stephen is brought before the council of religious leaders and he's asked to give it his defense. The high priest looks at him and says, are these things so? And rather than just say, well, yeah, they are so, or no, they're lying... Stephen goes into a full-on historical discourse about the history of the nation of Israel, starting with Abraham, going down to Isaac, and then Jacob, and then going into Joseph and how his brothers rejected his leadership and sold him into slavery. How he went down to Egypt and he saved his whole family and became the leader that he had the dream about him being, and how the rest of the family came down and how they were enslaved in Egypt. They came out with Moses. Moses was the one who, when he tried to deliver the nation of Israel, he was rejected as their leader, but then Moses is the one that God chose after 40 years of wandering. in the wilderness to come and to deliver the nation from their bondage of slavery in Egypt. But Moses didn't take them into the promised land. Joshua brought them into the promised land. And then eventually the kingdom was set up. David was king, but David did not build the house of God. Why? Because he had too much blood on his hands. And so Solomon was the one that built God a temple. But then Stephen concludes that God does not dwell in temples made with hands, but the fullness of God fills the whole of the universe because God is so great and so big. And all this time he was talking about the fathers and he was pointing out they, they, they. But now all of a sudden he turns on them and he says, you, you, you. And he gives them a scathing rebuke that they were not ready for. Much like Peter did as well. And talking about how they took the Christ, the prophet, the one who Moses said would come. And they rejected him. Ultimately, they rushed Stephen out of the city and they put him to death by stoning him. Wow, what a story. What a life that was lived. Now I don't believe that every Christian is called to give their blood and sacrifice their life as Stephen did as a martyr in that sense of the word, but we are all called to be a witness of Jesus Christ and to lay down our lives for the sake of the gospel, that we are ready to live and to die for God. And there are some marks that I see in Stephen's life, and we're going to go throughout Acts chapter 6 and Acts chapter number 7 to see some of the things that mark Stephen's life that should be evident in our lives as well. The marks of Christian Martyr's first one is this is the face of an angel. The face of an angel. What do you mean by that pastor? The face of an angel? Many times, when we think about angels, we think about those guys dressed up in a long white robe. They got a golden sash thrown over their shoulder. They're strumming on a, a harp, right? And they've got wings, big wings that are coming out of their back, and maybe a, a halo, like a little glittery thing from a Christmas production over their heads. That's what we think of many times when we think of an angel. Why do we think that way? Because we were raised on cartoons, raised on pictures that we've seen, images and things like that in pop culture. And so we get that image of an angel, and yet the Bible has a very different picture of angels. The Bible says that these are mighty beings, that they have the form and the appearance of a man, and yet when they show up, their countenance, their their whole appearance and the whole presence about them is so strong and so mighty and so awe-inspiring that people have tried to worship them and that people have fallen back in fear. Many times when the angels show up, the first words out of the angel's mouth are, do not fear, because they're so powerful and so awe-inspiring. The Bible says that their clothes are like the appearance of lightning. What does that mean? You ever seen lightning in the middle of the night, right? It flashes, it illuminates everything around it, and it's awe-inspiring and fearful even. See, their appearance was like lightning. I believe that when they looked on the face of Stephen, his face was awe-inspiring, that there was something, there was a glory radiating out of him, that something was, was on him, and that there was even a fearful presence as they looked at this man, that he was boldly standing there with the glory of God radiating out of his face. Look at what it says in Acts chapter number 6, verse number 15. It says, And all who sat in the council looked steadfastly at him and saw his face... As the face of an angel. Can I say this to you? Your time with God will show. You know, Moses, when he went to the tabernacle of meeting, he would sit in the presence of God. And the Bible says that he spoke to God as a man speaks to his friend face to face. And when Moses would finish speaking with God, he would come out of the tabernacle of meeting, the tent of meeting, if you will, and the people saw Moses' face in the broad daylight glowing from the presence of God. It was actually radiating light out of it. Now, how many of you know that would be an awe-inspiring thing? It probably, as Moses walked out, the children of Israel probably looked like this. Why? Why? Because he's glowing. He's radiating. He just came out of the presence of God. Look at the glory on Moses' face. In fact, Moses was a little insecure about it, so he took a veil, and he put it over his face anytime he would go out from the presence of God, because he didn't want people staring at him. He was a lot like you and a lot like me. We all battle these insecurities, and yet the Bible says that we all with unveiled face behold the glory of God as in a mirror. That we can have face-to-face encounters with God. See, we are no longer under the old covenant. We are now under a better covenant with better promises. And guess what else? A better presence of God. God is not just with us. He is not outside of us. God is in us, living his life through us. We have the glory of God resident on the inside of us as believers. And as you spend time with God, as you spend time in his presence, as you worship at his feet, as you pray to him, as you get into his word, you can hear his voice anytime. You can connect with God anytime. Just go into the secret place of your heart and start to talk to God. Start to pour out your heart and your life before him. And as you spend time with God, the presence of God will show in your life. You will have the face of an angel as well. Our time with God should light up our lives. One of the heroes of the faith, my heroes, if you will, my personal heroes is Jim Elliott. Jim Elliott said, God, I pray thee, light these idle sticks of my life that I may burn for thee consume my life, my God, for it is thine. I seek not a long life, but a full one like you, Lord Jesus. Jim Elliot was 28 years old when he was martyred by the people he was trying to reach with the gospel, the Akoa Indians in South America. This young man gave the ultimate sacrifice and was a martyr for Jesus Christ. But his life was a life lived in the presence of God. And I believe that Jim Elliot had the face of an angel. When you and I spend time in the presence of God, we may have decades we may have 80 years 90 years on the earth we may have a short period of time on the earth but we need to spend time practicing the presence of god getting into god's word and allowing the spirit of god to radiate in and through our lives the marks of christian martyrs number 1 is the face of an angel number 2 is this is the fullness of the holy spirit the fullness of the holy spirit If you read in Acts chapter 7, verse number 51, like I said, Stephen gave these religious leaders a scathing rebuke. Let's take a look at it for a second. In Acts chapter 7 and verse number 51, kind of towards the end of the chapter here, it says this right after he starts talking about the house of God and how God doesn't dwell in temples made with hands. And basically what he's saying is they're accusing me of talking against the temple, but God is not in the temple. And that's not the real issue here. Verse number 51, he says, you stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears. Now, he just said a mouthful right there. So why don't we stop right there and just camp out for a second? What does he say? He said, you stiff-necked. Many times in the Bible, you read that they are a stiff-necked people. What does that mean? You ever seen somebody with a stiff neck? I mean, they'd be walking around, you, you call them, hey, and what do they do? They're not pliable. They're not bendable. They're they're not easily molded. They can't conform. They can't turn that well. God is saying, you're on your course. You're going your direction, and you are not willing to just simply turn. No, you have to, in order to turn somewhere, you're a stiff-necked person. You're not going to turn. You're not going to bow. You're not going to submit yourself to my will and to my way. And then he goes on and says, and uncircumcised in heart and ears. Now, we're we're people. We're not Jews. Most of us in this place probably are not Jewish people. But circumcision to us is a medical procedure that they have that's elective for male children when they're born in the hospital, right? It's kind of like, well, do we want to do that? Do we not want to do that, you know? But the nation of Israel had a very different perspective of circumcision. They were required by the religious law to have their children circumcised on the eighth day. And the reason why they did that was because that was a sign of the covenant that God gave to their father, Abraham, right? They took great pride in the fact that their father was Abraham, this great man of faith. And God gave Abraham the sign of circumcision in his flesh. Circumcision is the cutting away of unnecessary flesh. It was a very personal thing. Remember, every male child had it. Every single individual in the nation of Israel, every male child had that personal reminder that they were in covenant with God. What is a covenant? It's a agreement. It's the binding, most closest, most solemn and sacred of all contracts. We would think of it in terms of marriage, that everything I have is yours now and everything you have is mine. There's no longer me, there's we. And in the same way, they had a reminder That we are in covenant with God. We are in a binding, close, solemn, sacred relationship with God. No one else has this special relationship with God like we do. We are circumcised now, so we have a personal relationship with God. Everything I have is God's. Everything God has is mine. That's why David, when he came up to the battle lines and he saw Goliath there railing against the nation of Israel and speaking blasphemies against God, he said, Who is this uncircumcised Philistine? who would defy the armies of the living God. What is he saying? He's saying he doesn't have any relationship with our God. We have a covenant. We have a relationship with God. It was very personal. It was private. Think about that for a second. Some of you guys started squirming when we started talking about circumcision. Why? Because that's, that's, that's private. That's a private matter. We don't talk about those things, right? Very private. It was personal, and it was private. But guess what else it was? It was permanent. You can't change it. When you cut away that flesh, that flesh goes in and it dies. It was a permanent thing for each and every one of them. So here, he says, you are uncircumcised, but not in the flesh. They were all circumcised in the flesh, but in heart and in ears. What is he saying? You can't circumcise a heart. You start cutting away that, you're going to have problems in the natural. So what is he saying? He's saying the heart, the true heart, the deepest part of you, still is wrapped in flesh. You are still covered with the old relationship. The old man, you do not have the special relationship with God in your heart. And also, what does he say? Over your ears. Everybody cover one of your ears for a second. Just cover one of your ears. Now, as I'm talking, I want you to notice that it just got a little bit harder to hear, didn't it? If you want to, cover your other ear. All right? And as I talk, it's getting even harder to hear now, right? Okay, go ahead and release. Did that sound like uh, Charlie Brown? Wah, 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 right? See, if you're uncircumcised, if you've got flesh covering the way you hear the voice of God, you're not going to hear him clearly and do his will. So he says, you stiff-necked and uncircumcised of heart and of ears. You don't have a real relationship with God just because you're circumcised in the flesh and because you feel like you've got a covenant that you're proud of. No, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And so you're not willing to bend, you're not willing to move, and you cannot hear from the voice of God. And then he goes on, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. Man, he's all up in their face, isn't he? Scathing. He upbraids them. He tells them, listen, you guys are resisting the Holy Spirit as your fathers did. See, that's why he gave them that history lesson was to remind them they went against Moses, they sold Joseph into slavery, they rejected the leadership that God had, and now you've crucified Jesus Christ. You always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. You're operating in the flesh rather than in the Spirit. You say Abraham's your father, well, guess what? If he was your father, you'd be in faith. So he goes on in Acts chapter 7 and verse number 55, we see the contrast of Stephen's life. Now remember, The Sanhedrin, the religious leaders of that day, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they were resisting the Holy Spirit. Now let's take a look at Stephen. Remember, these are the marks of Christian martyrs, talking about the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 7, verse 55, but he, speaking of Stephen, being full of the Holy Spirit. Everybody say full. Say it again, say full. Type it in online. Come on, type it in the comments. Put full right there being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Can can, can, can I just stop for a second? Can I stop right here? Can I just preach this verse for one second? Is that all right with you guys? All right. So Jesus is doing what in this passage? He is standing at the right hand of God. But hold on a second. We got a problem, don't we? Because last time we saw Jesus, he was received up into glory, and the Bible says that a cloud covered him out of the eyes of the disciples. So, what happened to Jesus? Mark the 16th chapter, you'll find out that Jesus ascended to the right hand of God, and the Bible says that he sat down at the right hand of God. Why did Jesus sit down at the right hand of God? Because the work was finished. What work? The work of redemption. The work of atonement. See, up until that time, the high priest every year had slaughtered an animal for his own sins and for the sin of the nation. And he brought the blood of that animal into the presence of God, the mercy seat, signifying the throne of God in heaven. And he would sprinkle the blood there showing that an innocent life had been given for the guilty nation. And that year, the sin was covered by the blood of the sacrifice. But the high priest never got to sit down after he finished the work that day. No, he went out from the presence of God, and the next year he had to come back in and do it again. But our King Jesus, come on, can I preach this right now? Our King Jesus, he comes to the earth. He lives as the Lamb of God, the perfect, spotless, sinless Lamb. And he goes to the cross and he lays down his life on our behalf, the innocent life given for the guilty nation, for all of us. And it wasn't with the goat, it wasn't with a calf, it wasn't with the ashes of a heifer or the sprinkling of blood from another that Jesus took. No, he went into the holy heaven of heavens. He went into the very presence of God and he went to the mercy seat and he sat down at the right hand of God signifying that it is finished the work of redemption is done now our sins have been paid for but remember we have a problem because in Acts chapter number seven and verse number 55 Jesus is not sitting what's he doing he's standing why is Jesus standing if the work is finished? See, the work of redemption is finished, the work of atonement is finished. But our high priest ever lives to make intercession on our behalf. See, that work is not done yet. So Jesus, when we're in trouble, Jesus is looking down on the planet and here Stephen is getting ready to give his life. And so Jesus looks down and he sees my son is in trouble. My child is getting ready to give the ultimate sacrifice. He's going to be a martyr. And so Jesus stands up on Stephen's behalf. But you know Jesus is watching your life too. Oh come on, Jesus is watching you. He saw you when you got up this morning. He saw you when you were watching the news and you started to frown and you started to have fear rest on your shoulders. He saw you when your neighbor called you and said, Hey, we've got a problem on the street and something's going on. He saw you when you opened up that bill and you thought, What am I gonna do? I just lost my job. He saw you when you started having that argument with your spouse and you thought, I don't know how we're gonna recover from this. He saw you in the middle of the night when you were crying out to God. He saw you there, and Jesus didn't just sit idly by. No, Jesus saw you in that position and Jesus stood up on your behalf. He's making intercession for you. He's praying to the Father. We need to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. See, we can either resist the Holy Spirit or we can yield to him and be filled by him. If we resist, we will find ourselves fighting against the work of God just like the Sanhedrin did. But if we will yield, we will find God fighting on our behalf. Jesus will stand on your behalf. Come on, somebody, give the Lord a praise. That's good news. Last one for us today, the marks of Christian martyrs. Number one is the face of an angel. Number two is the fullness of the Holy Spirit. We need to walk in the Spirit and be filled with the Holy Spirit of God. Last one is this, is faithfulness unto death. Faithfulness unto death. You know, many times people are afraid to die. I find a lot of Christians are very fearful about the end times. They're very fearful about death. My goodness, seeing the things that have taken place in recent months and this year, I've been surprised at how many people are in such fear over death. Can I tell you something? There are worse things than dying. Like, how about going to hell? That's the worst thing that could ever happen to us. But as Christians, as believers, we don't fear death, Why? Because Jesus defeated death. Jesus died and raised again. And now he gives the power of an endless life to all those who will believe on him for their salvation. Death no longer has hold on you. Death no longer has power over you. So then why are we afraid? You have no need to fear. See, if you're born twice, you only die once but if you're only born once, then you're going to end up dying twice. And we may pass from this life into the next life. We may die. You know, if Jesus doesn't come back, the the statistic is still the same. 100% of the people that are born on the planet will die. And death is a part of life, isn't it? We're all going that way. We're all going that direction. Sometimes, my daughter hates it when I say this, but all of us are slowly dying, aren't we? From the moment we're born, We're set on a course. It's a part of life. It's not something that we have to fear. See, the Bible says, Yea, though I go through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. You don't have to be afraid of dying because to a Christian, dying is just a simple changing from this life into the next. It's taking off this garment of sin and flesh and sickness and discouragement and disparity, all those things and roving ourselves with the eternal, with true life, and that tent that we're going to be in forever and ever, our heavenly dwelling. See, for the Christian, death is to be welcomed. Death is something that we look forward to. Why? Because I get to go and be with Jesus. What could be better than that? And I do not fear the things that man can do to me on the earth. You can torture me. You can lock me up. You can try and shut me up. But guess what? This life is but a vapor. And no longer how long I suffer on the earth. I've got rewards in eternity. I should have had a great big shout and amen on that. <clears throat> there are much worse things than death. And yet everybody's tripping right now. Oh, we're going to die. Yay, guys. Yay. We get to be with Jesus. Come on. Well, we need to be faithful and look at the life of Stephen. Acts chapter seven, verse number fifty-nine and verse number sixty. Let's take a look at these two verses. Acts chapter seven, verse number fifty-nine. Last two verses in chapter seven, and they stoned Stephen as we, he was calling on God and saying, "God, why? God, where are you? God, what are you doing?" I signed up to be a Christian. It's supposed to be prosperity and blessings. And Where's the wealth and where's the health? And now they're going to throw stones at me and kill me? Is that what your Bible says? Maybe online you got a different translation than I do. No, what does it say? It says, and they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. What was he doing? He's saying, Daddy, come get me right now. He said, I'm I'm ready to go. I've lived my life. He's welcoming it. Look at verse 60. Then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. What is he doing? He's praying for the people that are murdering him. Who else did that in the Bible that we know of? Jesus, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. See, he was so full of the Holy Spirit that as they're throwing stones at him to kill him, he's praying for them, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. He is operating to the very end in the Spirit of God. God would not want us to curse. No, he would want us to bless each and every day of our lives. And look at this. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Notice it doesn't say he died. It says he simply closed his eyes and ended the day. And went to sleep. See, for a Christian, death is not pain. It's not sting. It's not hurt. It's not harm. For us, it's simply that the day has passed. I've done my job. I've worked hard. And now I'm ready to lay my head down, to close my eyes, and to go to sleep. And when I wake in the morning, I will awaken to his likeness and his image. Come on, somebody. When we close our eyes here on earth, we will open our eyes in eternity to see the face of the one we love. I believe that Stephen, when he closed his eyes here on the earth, and then when he opened his eyes, he saw Jesus standing there with a smile, welcoming men. Welcome. You are the first one to give your life, to shed your blood for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Welcome into your reward. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. And you and I... Need to have that heart that I'm going to be faithful until the end. Should God allow us 80, 90, 100, 120 years, however long God has for us on this earth, that I'm going to lay down my life and I'm going to live my life for the gospel. And should we become a martyr in the sense of someone taking our life for the gospel, then what a privilege, what an honor that we have. We will close our eyes and go to sleep just like Stephen did. Polycarp, who lived in AD 70 through 155, he was Bishop of Smyrna. And he was a very godly man. He had known the Apostle John personally. When he was urged by the Roman proconsul to renounce Christ, Polycarp said, 86 years have I served him, and he never did me any injury. How then can I blaspheme my king and my savior? When they went to light him on fire, uh, the Fox's Book of Martyr records that there was a supernatural miracle that took place. The flames encircled him, but they never touched him. And eventually they had to take a sword, and they had to run him through in order to kill him. 605 years ago, a man by the name of John Hus was a Bohemian reformer, and he says, what I taught with my lips I seal with my blood. And as they lit him on fire, he started to sing hymns. When his friend Jerome told his executioners to kindle the fire before his eyes, because if he was afraid, he would not have come to that place. See, these men welcomed death, and Jerome also was singing hymns as the flames engulfed him. Guys, there are much worse things than death. Much worse things than just dying a simple death and closing out the chapter here on earth. Because we have an eternal dwelling, we have an eternal reward that we were looking for. In, Rome, in Revelation chapter 2, verse number 10, in the New King James Version, it says, Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested, and you will have tribulation for 10 days. 10 days, not speaking of physical days, but speaking of a trial period. 10 is the number of testing." It's the number of trials, and he says, you will have tribulation. There will be trouble in your life for 10 days, a full testing period. But look at what he says, be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. Wow, that's a promise from God right there. Can we pray together? Father, we're grateful for your word today. Lord, we thank you for the marks of Christian martyrs. We've seen the life of your servant, Stephen. God, we pray that these marks would be evident in each and every one of our lives. Father, we give you thanks and we give you praise. Would you just take a moment and pray to God and ask God this question, God, what are you speaking to me personally? Maybe you've already heard in the message what God has been speaking to you, but maybe you haven't and you just wanna pray that prayer right now and say, God, what are you speaking to me from this message? For some of you, maybe God was speaking to you about your personal time with Him. He's saying, I want your face to be the face of an angel. So would you spend time in my presence? Would you pray to me? Would you get in your word daily, not just Sunday, but every day? God speaking to you? For some of you, God might be talking to you about being filled with His Spirit. You've been walking in the flesh. Maybe you've had your hands over your ears when it comes to the things that God has been speaking to you. God is saying, will you have an uncircumcised heart and an uncircumcised ear? Will you hear my voice? And will you follow me wholeheartedly? For some of you, maybe you've been in fear over death. God is dealing with you. You know, Jesus never gives us permission to live in fear, doubt, unbelief, or worry. God might just be ministering that strength and that courage. Will you be faithful unto death, whether you live out your life to a ripe old age, or whether persecutions come? And we give our lives for the sake of the gospel. What is God speaking to you? If you haven't already written it down, why don't you just take a moment, write it down. Commit it to a note, commit it to a note on your phone or your tablet, that sort of thing. Maybe you want to write it down. If you're watching online, got a piece of paper and a pen handy. I know if I don't write stuff down, I will forget it. I don't want you to forget the things that God is speaking to you because they're vitally important for your future. Could be a word, could be a phrase, could be a scripture. Maybe it's an assignment. Maybe God has given you something that you need to do, something you need to take care of. Put a goal date on it, put when you're going to do it. Maybe there's others that need to be involved or people you need to talk to. Write that down. Make sure that you got the plan from God. Write the vision and make it plain, the gospel says. If you're here with a faithful friend, maybe your spouse, children, someone that you trust, you just want to show them that note or whisper in their ear what God is speaking to you, go ahead and do that right now. If you're online watching and you want to just share with your family, the people that are around you, you can. Or maybe you're comfortable putting it in the comments. You want to put the scripture that God shared with you. Or maybe the word, you know, encouragement, grace, favor, blessing, whatever it is that God has spoken to you. If you feel comfortable, go ahead and put that in the comments section there. We'd love to rejoice with you. What God is speaking into your life. Father, we're so grateful for your word. We're so grateful, God, that you allow us the wonderful privilege of partnership and covenant with you. May our time with you radiate through our lives. May we have the face of an angel, God. May we be filled with your spirit, God, living our lives out not in the flesh. And, Father God, may we be faithful unto death. However many days that is for each and every one of us, God, we give you thanks and we give you praise. In Jesus' name, everybody in agreement shouted amen and amen. Can we just give the Lord a praise today? Hallelujah. Come on online. Give God some praise right now. Thank you for listening to the Rock Church and World Outreach Center. If this message spoke to you, please share it with us. We'd love to hear from you. You can find more information at www.rockchurch.com.